Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you. It is good to see all of you here as well for us to assemble in faith and to lift our voices together in praise and honor and glory to our God and creator and savior, Jesus Christ. Jehovah God, what an amazing God he really is. And he is a God who has done great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. If I can get this working here. There. And you see that expression being used in the book of Job as you see the struggle that Job is facing as he's dealing with the hardships that have just come bombarding upon him and just being totally overcome by those situations. And you see a God that is, in spite of all that hardship, is still an amazing God, a wonderful God, a God who has stretched out the heavens and has made the constellations such as Bear and Orion and Pleiades and all of those things are described to us in the book of Job. And when we take the time in our busy schedules, in in the midst of our busy routines, we take the time to, to look, to observe, and to contemplate on the creative handiwork of our God, our creator, it does fill us and fill our hearts and fill our minds with a sense of awe and fear, for we are reminded of truly how great and mighty God is. But the handiwork of God is not just seen in creation. Yes, we we see it every day, and we need to take note of it every day, That's not the only way God has revealed himself so that we may be amazed by the wonder and the the greatness of our God. God has manifested himself in man's history as well. And he's done so by performing mighty works, by performing mighty wonders in the revelation and in the exercise of his will and his plan, particularly when looking upon the chosen people of God. For example, we've talked and studied in times past how God judged and punished a world corrupted by sin. And he did so how? Well, he did so with a global flood. And he saved eight souls to replenish the earth and cause mankind to multiply and fill the lands that God made. We also have talked about how God saved the nation of Israel while at the same time defeating the Egyptian army with the Red Sea. God did that. And so therefore, the military stronger nations of Canaan that we read about In the Old Testament, these strong nations were not a problem for God. They were no obstacle that would prevent God from fulfilling, from carrying, from keeping his promise and fulfilling his purpose. For example, in Genesis 15, in the days of Abram or Abraham, God promised Abram that his descendants, his descendants in the fourth generation, 
And so the descendants that were in the fourth generation after Abraham, that they would return to the promised land in which Abram wandered as a nomad. And that in that time, the lands of the Kenites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all of those nations, that they would, that land, their land would be given to the descendants of Abraham. And so therefore, that brings us to our lesson today. And that is under the leadership of God's servant, Joshua. Under the leadership of God's servant, Joshua, God gave Israel victory. God gave Israel victory over nations that were much mightier than that, what they were. There were nations that were trained in warfare. The Israelites are not. It is a young nation. It is a developing nation. It is a growing nation that God is training and equipping. And so when they cross that Jordan River, by the power of God, it is God that gives victory to Israel. And the reason why is because victory belongs to God. So turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, as we have already introduced with our songs this morning, and we appreciate Brother David turning our thoughts in that direction. So in Joshua chapter 6, you open up those familiar pages, and we read again these mighty words that God has preserved so that we may know him and know how victory is attained. In verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was tightly shut, shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be, it shall be, that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people will go up, every man straight ahead. The first thing I want you to think about very briefly is this, that God always keeps his promises. That's the first thing that you need to draw from the story of Jericho and the tumbling of those walls, is that God always keeps his promises. God always carries out his word. And so you see here, as we've already mentioned, that God had promised this land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites. He had promised that land to Israel. And he had promised that 
before Israel was a nation. He promised that before they were even in existence. He even promised this before their father Abraham had a child. So you're talking about generations, a few hundred years here, God made a promise that Israel would have the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and all those other nations that are listed in the book of Genesis. And so when you open up the pages of Joshua, as we have already read in chapter 1 this morning, God now, you know, with the beginning of this stage of history, Moses, God's servant Moses is dead. Don't you find that interesting how God says that? Moses is dead, Joshua. Now it's your turn. It's your time to move on. Can't do anything else. Moses is dead. Let's move on. And so he sends Joshua on this mission. Now, Joshua is God's chosen servant to lead this mission. And in chapter 1, God assured Joshua that he would be the servant that is going to give the land as a possession to the people of Israel. And the reason why this is going to happen is because God will not fail. God will not forsake. And God is going to keep what he had sworn to the fathers of Israel. The promise that he made to Abraham, the promise that he made to Isaac, the promise that he made to Jacob, the promise that he made to the sons of Jacob. God kept his promise. And here, that promise is coming to fulfillment. Almighty God did exactly, Almighty God did exactly as he said. And he has always done exactly as he speaks. God hasn't changed. And when God speaks, and we have the word of the Lord... We have inspired words of God, our creator. God always does what he says. The faithfulness of God is from eternity to eternity. And the very words he communicates are important. And they must be understood in the context of how they were spoken. They don't need to be understood by the words of modern languages. Modern languages are constantly changing. And modern words in modern languages change meanings. But God, when he speaks, needs to be understood in the context that he said it. Not the way modern man wants to explain it. And so just as he has prophesied and promised through Abraham, there's another promise that pertains to all of humanity and the end of time. God's anointed son came, and he came just in the way God said he would. And God's anointed son died, and he died just in the way he said he would die. And God Son, Jesus was raised up 
On which day? On the third day, just as God said he would. And God exalted a son to the right hand, his right hand, in heaven, and he is declared now both Lord and Christ. That is true, and that has happened. Why? Because God always, always fulfills his promise. Always does exactly what he says he's going to do. And so in Acts 17, Brian mentioned this in his study this morning of Acts. In Acts 17, was speaking of Christ and the importance of understanding who he is and turning to him in repentance and obeying him. He says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Why do we need to repent? What's so urgent about repenting? Well, because God says, I've appointed a day in which I'm going to judge mankind. The day's coming, he says. That day is still coming. Back in the first century, when the apostles were preaching the gospel, and they preached Jesus, they preached faith and obedience to Jesus, and they warned people, the day's coming that you will stand before Jesus, you will stand before God, and you will be judged for the life you lived. And he says there in chapter 17, verse 1, and we have been given proof that this is true, that this is going to happen. How? Well, he said, God raised up that man from the dead just as he said he would. And so when Peter writes over in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 about this day of the Lord, this coming day of the Lord, the passing of time does not invalidate God's promise. The passing of time does not diminish God's faithfulness, nor does it change God's words. And so Peter preaches through the inspired work of the Holy Spirit here when he says in the third chapter, verse 9, the Lord is not slow, some version may say slack. The Lord is not slow or slack about his promise. As some count slowness. See, God's not like men, is he? God is not like us. God is not like mankind in the world. So the Lord is not slow about his promise, some count slowness, but is patient toward you. God is patient with you and me and with mankind. God is forbearing with us. God is long-suffering with mankind. And see, so, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's the call. But, now just because God is patient, and he's long-suffering, forbearing, and he's not like us, that doesn't change what he has promised about the day of the Lord. It doesn't doesn't change the fact that all men throughout all times are accountable to their creator and God. And they will give an account and God will judge them. And there will be a sentence pronounced to each individual. And so he says, but the day of the Lord will come. It will 
come. The day of the Lord is coming. Time has not changed. Even though this would have been written sometime before the end of the first century A.D. And here we are in 2022. God is not slow or slack about his promise. The day the Lord will come, like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And he goes on to uh, encourage the admonishment that, therefore, we need to be taking heed to ourselves, knowing that day is coming. God was faithful, and he proved that with the conquest and the gift of the promised land to Israel. God always does what he says he's going to do. The day the Lord is coming. Don't be negligent and careless in your preparation. But also you go back to Joshua chapter 6. You think about how the fact that God gave victory over Jericho. God is the one who gave victory over Jericho. And God made the point there, as we have already read in Joshua 6, when he says, see, I have given you, or I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. God is being very plain here. He's kind of laying laying things out very plain. He said, let let me tell you now, I'm the one who is giving this to you. I am the one giving you Jericho. Without God's presence and without God's help, Israel would not have succeeded. They couldn't have done it. No matter how hard they tried. They could not have done it without God. God is the one who gave Jericho to them. Now, if you recall earlier in the book of Joshua, this, the, this inspired history that God preserves for us, earlier we read in chapter 2 about how Rahab, Rahab, the, the lady that hid the two spies when they came to kind of check things out before this conquest, that she told them that she knew already. Even Rahab knew, God has given this to you. And how did she know? Well, she knew because of all the reports that had been trickling down, you know, with all the great wonders that God had been demonstrating in his care and his leading of Israel to this time and place. For example, you recall in the second chapter, verse 9, when, when Rahab speaks to the two spies you know, you know, before they're kind of covered up and, and, uh, and she you know, kind of turns uh, people away. He says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us. He says, we're scared. Let me tell you why. He says, And all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you, for we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, 
and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. He said, we have heard. And he says, we're terrified. We're melting away. Don't let the Bible stories become too common to you. Because when you read those stories, when you hear what God did at the Red Sea, and what God did to Sihon Og, and what God did at Jericho, what should be your response? Fear. Awe. He says, when we heard it, verse 11, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, listen, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth. Rahab knew already, this is a done deal. We've heard the reports of what your God has done. And so we know we have no chance against you because your God, Your God is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so it is God, it is God who ordered this plan of attack because actually he was the commander of the army of Israel. Now Joshua is God's servant and Joshua led the people, but ultimately God was the commander God ultimately was charged over everything, and so it is God that planned the attack against Jericho. And there is no city then and now that is impregnable to God. If God wants a city destroyed, that city will be destroyed. Jericho is not the only testimony of that fact. Just read the whole Old Testament. And you see the power of God again and again. When God judges a city or judges a nation or judges a people, that judgment is carried out. Yes, when we hear the story of Jericho, we need to be filled with fear. For he is the Lord of heaven and on earth. And so no battering rams, no grappling hooks, no ladders were needed to break through the gates and to break through the walls of that city. No, God's plan was a plan that man would never have thought of. God's way, from man's viewpoint, was kind of foolish, ridiculous. But God is the commander here. God is the one who's in charge. And so God's plans involved marching and trumpets and, and a gold box and a shout from the men of war. Without question, when you really sit down, you meditate on the means by which God directed this victory. Without question, God's orders clarify whose power brought those walls down. What brought, that, what brought those walls down? What brought those fortifications of Jericho down? It was God. That's why he told Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and with its warriors. I have given it to you. 
This is what I want you to do. This is how you're going to take the city. And he says, you're going to do it my way. You can do it my way. Those, you know, the, the walls of Jericho did not f- fall down because the blast of the trumpets were just so powerful. Those walls of Jericho did not fall down because the shout of the men of war were just, just resonated and just, you know, it just shook everything. And there is no march anybody could make that would that'd be powerful enough to bring down a city's fortifications. Ancient cities knew how to fortify their cities. But yet this was God's plan, God's way, because man's ingenuity, man's might is not going to be the means of this victory. And God wanted Israel and all nations around to know how this battle was won. It wasn't men that accomplished this victory. It was God. God directed the victory. Jehovah wanted everyone to know that it wasn't man's power, it wasn't man's wisdom that attained this victory over this fortified city. Back in chapter 4 of Joshua, in verse 24, this is right after the crossing of the Jordan River. And that was, once again, by the power of God, a nation was able to cross the Jordan River during flood season on dry ground. God made that happen. He made those waters rise up as a single wall, as, the, as those you know, northern waters flowed down. And when God put that wall, said, okay, no farther than this point here, and those waters just rose up, and Israel crossed over on dry ground. It is after that great miraculous you know, crossing of the Jordan River that they are told to select some stones and to, they were to erect a, a stone memorial. And the reason of that stone memorial was to be a reminder of what happened here and who did it. And in verse 24, he said, this is why. So that all peoples of the earth, not just Israel, so that all peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He says, God did this so that, you, so that all will know that the Lord is mighty and so that you will fear him. That's why. It's not just, a, oh, oh, wow, that's, that's just really interesting. Isn't that wonderful? That's amazing. And we walk away from it. No, the point is we are to know who God is. We are to know how mighty he is. And with that understanding, fear him. God gave the victory over Jericho. God brought down those walls. It wasn't man's power or intelligence or ingenuity that made that happen. It was God that made those walls fall down flat. It is true today as well that man's wisdom and man's ways cannot save the soul. Man's wisdom and man's ways cannot save the soul. 
your wisdom and your ways cannot save your soul. You think about the call and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that forgiveness and salvation are, are offered to, to all men, but it is not offered and is not attained in a manner that men would have done. Brian hinted at that at this point already in his causing us to think about what God has done for us to bring lost souls like us into a saved condition with him. The knowledge of man and the imagination of men always falls short of providing propitiation. Man's ways always fall short of providing true reconciliation for sinners with their creator. Interestingly, I had chosen likewise Romans 3 as well this morning. And the point is man's intelligence could not have figured out that the way to overcome, the way to defeat Satan is God's son has to die. It's not man's wisdom. It's not man's ways that can save your soul. Only God. God is the one in command. God is the one who gives victory. God is the one who can save you. And it is God's plan that said, my son must die for sinners. He has to die this unjust death for sinners. Why? To meet the divine demands of justice. God did this. God provided the means of our salvation and forgiveness so that he could be just in justifying you who is a sinner that believes and obeys Jesus Christ. This is what it took. God gives you victory. It's not man's ingenuity. It is not man's intelligence that can save the soul. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it is through God's wisdom, God's wisdom chose that the means of spreading this message of salvation is going to be through fallible messengers preaching the one message and telling them how to be saved by faith in obedience. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says here in verse 20, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Man could not have figured out the perfect way to convict and convert sinners, but God has. The best way to convict and convert sinners is by a message that cuts the heart. But it's not in accord with the way men would think. So where's the wise guy? Where's the debater of the age? But in verse 21, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, but God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The message is not foolish. The message is power. It is God's power to save you. 
The message is not foolish. It is the power to save your soul. What's foolish in the mind of men is that God chose vessels of men to be the means to take that message to the world. That's foolish from man's viewpoint. But that's the right way, that's the best way to change hearts, to convict souls so they will truly believe and follow Jesus because they believe it. You men also have difficulty sometimes simply doing what God says, simply obeying the commander of salvation, but humbly doing what the gospel reveals is how a sinner, a man is blessed with salvation. Over in James 1, James 1, verse 19 you know, through 25, as you read there very quickly, he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone may be, must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The point here is our response, our reaction to God, we need to be slow to get angry with God, but we need to be really quick to listen to God because our, our emotions will get in the way for us doing what God says is right for us to do. And so verse 21, therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls and prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who delude themselves. Man, Man have difficulty simply doing what God has said. Verse 25, he says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man, which man? The man who looks into the law, abides by that law, and does what that law says, this man will be blessed in what he does. God gives victory. And the victory of salvation is God's way, it is not man's way. And if we want to share in that victory, we must follow God. But thirdly and finally, let's consider this point very quickly. And that is, the assurance of God's victory comes with diligent adherence to God's instruction. We recall in Hebrews 11 that this story is briefly referred to in the 30th verse. And he says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. Victory over Jericho was God's grace. That was a gift from God. But Israelites had to do something to receive the fullness of that gift. God says, see, I have given it to you, but this is the way you're going to get it. And he gave them that instruction. Salvation in Christ is a gift, but believers must prove their faith. How? By being doers of the gospel, by being doers of the commandments of the Lord through obedience. It's not works of our own. It's nothing for us to boast and brag about. It's simply humble obedience by faith. And so back in, in, in Joshua chapter 6, jo, you know, when Joshua 
receives the command from the commander God, and then he goes and takes those instructions to the nation, he tells them exactly what God said. He, he says, this is God's orders. And so you pick up there in, in, in verse 8, and it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. See, God's giving, God gave orders. Joshua is simply repeating the same orders of God, and now they're doing it. Verse 9, the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark. Well, they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. He says, We're going to march around the city, and you're going to be quiet the whole time. That's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard sometimes. This wasn't just a five-minute walk. You're going to march around the city in the exact manner I'm telling you, and you're going to keep your mouth shut the entire time. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, and then they came to the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Remember, and they're quiet. The next day, they're doing it again. They got to be quiet. Second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did so for six days. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day. And marched around the city in the same manner seven times in silence. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you. There's the emphasis in. You're not winning. Yeah, this is not because of you. The Lord has given you the city. And so you drop down in verse 20. So the people shouted, the priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. And so, that, so the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Once again, the commander God's orders involved a proper arrangement of their march, when to be quiet, you know, when to shout, and how many times they had to march each day. For a week. Joshua made sure that the people did exactly like God said they were to do. Why was that? Because Joshua had been told earlier, back in chapter 1, he said, Joshua, be careful to do according to all the law. Do not turn from it to the right, don't, uh, nor to the left, so that you may have success. Success is dependent upon following God's instructions to a T. They marched exactly like God said. They blew the trumpets exactly like God said. The priests carried the ark exactly like God said. They, went, they did that for six days. 
one time each day, and then on the seventh day, they did it seven times, and then Joshua commanded, okay, shout, for the Lord has given you, and they did, and the walls came down. God gave them that victory. Divine specifications must never be dismissed as not essential. Just because man's wisdom or man's ingenuity contrives a different way of doing it. Joshua made sure we, they did exactly what God said. He was very explicit. He didn't veer to the right. He didn't veer to the left. He marched exactly as God said. And we need to have the same kind of faith, the same kind of respect. We're promised victory. But it's a victory that comes with a faith that understands that God and Christ are Lord of heaven and earth. And we must submit to their will and their words. And victory is ours in Christ. Jesus is our commander. He is our captain of faith. And in in Matthew chapter 28, in the great commission of, of, of Matthew's account... Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. That's why he's the Lord. That's why he's the Christ. That's why he's the head of the church. And that's why he's the judge. He has all authority in heaven and earth. That's been given to him by his father. And in verse 20, he says, okay, when he sends him, now go preach. Go take this message to the world. A message of hope and salvation and forgiveness. You take this to the world, but you teach them to observe all things that I commanded you. Well, how many things do I need to observe? Jesus says, you observe all things I have commanded you. Just like Joshua, we need to follow God's instructions as he said. Our spiritual victory is by grace through faith. It is not a means by which we uh, uh, should boast at all regarding that. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is making that argument. There in verse 8 and 9, he says that that, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Victory in Christ is a gift. Yes. It is a gift, just like Jericho was a gift. By grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of you. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. Could Israel boast because they had to march around the city and had to be quiet, had to shout just at the right moment, and then had to go into the city and, yield, and wield that sword and utterly destroy all living things? Could they boast? No, of course not. God gave them that victory. And it's true for us as well. It is God's Son that gives us victory. And so, yes, by grace through faith, we are saved. It is a gift of God, and it is not by works of which we could boast. But God's victory requires a faith that heeds and does what God has commanded. In 1 John chapter 5 In verses 1 through 4, as we bring the lesson to a conclusion now, the Apostle John writes to saints, to Christians like us, 
And he says, whoever believed that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the born of God, the born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commands. How can I know assuredly? How can I have assurance of victory in Christ? It's when I love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, verse 3, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. How do we show, how do we demonstrate our faith? It is by loving God and obeying his commandments. Victory is ours. Victory belongs to the Lord. And we overcome sin, we overcome this world by keeping God's faith, by a faith that heeds and does what God says. It is not by man's traditions It is not by man's wisdom. It is not by man's ingenuity. It is not by man's substitutions. It's by faith that heeds and does what God has said. And in these last days, he has spoken to us through his very own son. And he has all authority in heaven on earth. Will you follow the orders of the king of kings. Will you do that? Are you following the orders, the instructions, the commands of the one who is king of kings and lord of lords? If not, we want to encourage you to consider your spirituality and relationship with God. Are you right with him? Are you right with God? Have you put on Christ in obedience to his gospel? Not the gospel of men, the the gospel of Christ. If you're a Christian, and if there's sin in your life that you've not made right with the Lord yet, if we can help you, we want to encourage you to let us know. Let us know how we can help you spiritually. Confess your sin to your father and pray to him for forgiveness. If you need our prayers, we invite you to let us know that. But if you're not a Christian, you've not called upon the name of the Lord in obedience to the gospel of Christ, if your faith is not heeded and done what Jesus has commanded, we want to encourage you to do that today. Victory is assured to those who heed and do what the commander has said. And faith does. Faith follows God. Because you fear Him, you love Him, and He is God. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you believe that He died so long ago on Calvary's cross for your sins and the world's sins, but you've not turned to Him, we want to encourage you to do that today. Confess your faith with your mouth before others unashamedly. Repent of the sins that you have committed in your life and be buried with Christ in baptism, calling on the name of the Lord to be raised up and walk a new life, a life of forgiveness, a life of salvation, a life of the hope of victory. Whatever your spiritual need may be this morning, we invite you to encourage you. Please come forward, make your wishes known, while we stand and sing the psalm that's been selected.